from your word. And we praise you that you are our mighty fortress and that you have given gifts to men to serve and to minister grace in this world, even when the world is hostile, as it was in Martin Luther's day. And, oh, Father, as it sometimes it is in our day, Lord, I pray that regardless of what the world thinks or what the world says or the climate of this age, that we would stand upon your word in faithfulness and in truth in ministering according as the Spirit has gifted us to minister and serving whether we are gifted or not for your great glory. And Lord, we praise you for this morning and we ask you to bless us by your word and for our great joy most of all, for the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill us with your spirit and protect us from error, we pray. By the name of our Savior, Jesus, amen and amen. If you're new at Calvary Bible Church, we're working our way through 1 Corinthians and dealing now in chapters 12, 13, and 14 with the issue of spiritual gifts. It's just where we are in the text right now. And so and we've been kind of, kind of laying the foundation for the last few weeks. Today, we want to get really specific in terms of what the gifts are. Last week, we learned from 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11 about two categories of spiritual gifts to kind of help us think through what the gifts are about. And the two categories are these. There are the serving gifts, and there are the speaking gifts. Now, there's other ways to characterize the gifts as well, which we may talk about next week or the week thereafter. But for our purposes now for this week and for next, is to talk about uh, understanding, giving us a, a clearer understanding of what the serving gifts are as opposed to the speaking gifts. Some of you are especially gifted to serve in various ways. Some of you are especially gifted to speak in various ways. And many of us are gifted in a variety of ways that are, in fact, all of us are gifted in a variety of ways that culminate to make our unique spiritual gift. But most of us are going to be able to identify one particular gift that kind of dominates all of the other characteristics that God has given us in order to minister his word. Now, clearly in this passage in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12, Paul is not out to define each of the spiritual gifts. He doesn't do that. And maybe one of the reasons for that is he realized that the Corinthians and the Romans had kind of an intuitive knowledge of what the gifts were. They didn't need to be explained. They were in practice. This is first century, so all the gifts were in full force in their highest capacity then. And we'll talk about whether or not that's true in, in our day later on. I know you're waiting for me to get there, and I'm going to get there. You're just going to have to, let's just take it one little section at, at, at a time. For now, however, when we look at these, um, when we look at the lists of gifts, understanding that there, none of these lists is comprehensive. Each of the lists is representative of the ways that God gifts individuals for the health and the well-being of its body understanding that the people in that day kind of understood what each of these gifts were, I think, but we don't. And frankly, I was, I was kind of tempted just to skip past to this because it seemed rather rudimentary, but as I started delving into what each of the gifts were, I thought, no, it would be good for us. There's probably a number of people who are listening to these messages right now, or you may be sitting here today, and you're thinking, you know, this is all new to me. I just don't have a clue what my spiritual gift could be. And so maybe by taking some 
um, biblical data and applying it to the words of the text, we can kind of get an understanding about what each of the gifts entail. And so that's the attempt I'm going to make this week and next. Now, in order to approach this systematically, I'm going to be jumping back and forth from 1 Corinthians 12 to Romans 12. We're not going to be doing a lot of reading of the text this morning um, as we normally do, but rather uh, systematically in terms of, I want to divide these two lists up in terms of what are the speaking gifts and what are the serving gifts. In fact, it's actually the other way around. This morning, we want to talk about the serving gifts, and next week, we'll talk about the spiritual gifts. So here we go. What are the serving gifts? If you're taking notes, number one, serving gift number one is helps or service. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul calls it helps, and in Romans 12, he refers to it as service. Now, the word service is a general term. It's a general term. It's not really specific it simply means ministry. In fact, you'll recognize this Greek word, uh, diakonia, which is the Greek from which we get the English word deacon, or diakonos would be the noun form of this. Uh, in the early church, faithful men, you'll remember, were put in charge back in the book of Acts, <clears throat> chapter 6, when they were having trouble with uh, the brand new church, brand new early church, miracles were happening. You remember the speaking in tongues, the, uh, the tongues of fire that came over the apostles' heads, and then again in a couple of other places that happened as well. We'll talk about in a few weeks. And things were really happening. People had come all the way to Jerusalem from distant lands to celebrate the Passover, and now they didn't want to leave. And they were all kind of there together by the thousands of them they were there, and they were seeing what God was doing. God was fulfilling his prophecy prophecy through Joel, at least in part, and doing miraculous things. Something was changing. There was this message of the apostles that come from Christ, that he is the Messiah, and this is the gospel, and he's calling all men everywhere to repent and place all of their hope for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was happening was that the Greek-speaking Jewish widows were being neglected on ethnic grounds. They were Greek-speaking. Their culture was different. They were, um, they were from the lands of the Gentiles where um, the Jews didn't ever go unless they absolutely had to, but they were Jewish people, and now they were Christians, and they were widows, and so they were in, especially in dire need. But because of who they were, because of their background alone, they were being neglected. And so what did the apostles do? Well, they told the people, select among yourselves seven men who are filled with the Spirit and are capable of handling this situation and turn them loose. Let them serve. As for us, the apostles, God has called us to minister the Word of God and to pray. We cannot be distracted by giving service to tables. And so what did they do? Well, they went and they appointed seven men who were filled with the Spirit and who could organize this thing and serve. And that's kind of what's happening there in Acts chapter 3 and 4. And that's the picture that you need to see when you think of the gift of service or the gift of helps. This is one who has a desire in their heart to serve and the capacity to do so. Uh, one doesn't need to hold the office of a deacon to have the gift of service. In fact, in any church, there are only going to be a few who are given the responsibility and the privilege of having the office of a deacon, but that doesn't matter. 
Every one of us is called to serve. And this is something I want you to see on all of these service gifts, and really on pretty much most of the speaking gifts as well. You may not be gifted in this particular area, but you're called to function as some capacity in this area regardless. Uh, And we talked about this, I think, a little bit last time. Just the fact that if you see a need, you just need to understand providentially God put that need in front of you. And it may very well be that God wants you to meet that need. You know, if you're down in Fellowship Hall and somebody spills coffee, you don't look down at the mess on the floor and say, look, service isn't my gift. (laughs) You get after it, you get serving. And service may not be your gift. You may not be especially motivated to find joy in the service of Christ and his body by wiping up a coffee mess. But do it anyway. And that's the way it's going to be with all of these gifts. We do it anyway. However, there are people in the body of Christ who just love to do that. They love to do it. And so the gift of service or helps is simply the gift that energizes the person by the Holy Spirit to invest his or her talents in the life and ministry of the other members of the body, thus enabling them to increase their effectiveness at ministering God's grace with their spiritual gifts. I remember early on, after I became senior pastor, and I had some uh, fellow pastors that I loved and respected who would come uh, and, and speak on occasion, either to a men's ministry event or, or for a conference here, and, and I was hoofing it. The senior pastor had, been, uh, had left and gone uh, to a church in New York, and I didn't even have a secretary for a little while. I had a beeper on my belt that had call forwarding. I had all of my calls forwarded from the church to my beeper so I could control all of that because there was so much that needed to be done. And whenever we had a conference here or or a special event here, who set up the tables? Well, me, I did everything. And I remember one of these guys coming and he said, listen, you got to find people in the body who love to serve. Because if you find those people who love to serve, they're gifted to serve you are depriving them of, your, of their ministry to this body if you're doing all the setup. And I said, there is a God in Israel, praise the Lord. Let's find these people and turn them loose. And what happened was as people started coming forward saying, listen, you don't need to be doing that. Stop setting up tables. Let us know when they need to be set up. We'll take care of that. And you know what happened? It freed me up. I could start functioning better in the gifts that God had given me to minister to the body. And they loved setting up tables. They didn't want my job. They still don't want my job. I don't know why anybody would want my job <laughs> some days. But, um, but they love to serve. It's a spirit-empowered ability to identify unmet needs in the church and specifically the unmet needs of individual people and see that those needs get met. And beloved... These people serve invisibly, behind the scenes, and I praise God for every one of them. I mean, where would we be as a church if we didn't have people in this body with the gift of service? Where would we be as a church? Now, I know I'm going to embarrass people this morning because I'm going to name names, but only for the purpose of encouragement and to... uh, point you to living examples of folks that I think have specific gifts, and uh, at least this seems to be a part of their gift mix, as we might say. But I think, oh, she's going to kill me for this, but I think uh, an example, the example that pops to my mind every time I think of the gift of service is Jane Oliver. 
Um, oh, that was an amen, wasn't it? You know, Jane, if you ever wondered what your gift was, I think you just got affirmed by the whole body. Gift of service. I mean, you guys don't see what Jane does, and I'm not going to tell you everything that Jane does. Um, but you know what? Invisibly, behind the scenes, she's doing things. And the reason that this church runs so smoothly in very specific areas, and the reason more people don't get sick from their children playing with the toys in there is because every week Jane's taking those toys and throwing them in the dishwasher and making sure they're all clean so that we can minimize the you know, bacterial influence on the body. She's doing that. And not just her, but other people as well. When I think of the gift of service, I think where would we be without all of the people in this body who think about the things that need to be done and their first thought is, well, not, it's not, gee, I hope somebody, hope somebody steps forward to do that, but rather, where can I fit that into my schedule? I mean, I'm a busy person, but I really want to help. I really want to help. I really want to serve. Don't put me in front of people. I don't want to be there. But give me a, a mess to clean up. Give me, give me a basket that needs to be made for a special speaker coming in. Or give me someone who needs a meal or, or whatever. Just turn me loose and don't tell anybody. It's a gift of service. Gift number two, serving gift. Gift number two is giving. Romans 12, verse 8. This is where Paul refers to this gift, and he says, he who gives should do it with liberality. The Greek word here for give is didomi. It's the common word throughout the, throughout the uh, New Testament for um, a person who is a giver to give. But the word here is, is kind of intensified in the Greek, and you can do that sometimes just by adding the appropriate prefix to a word. In this case, it's not didomi, it's metadidomi, which carries the additional meaning of sharing and imparting that which is one's own. And that's why we see in the New Testament when in the book of Acts, early Acts, and we saw that people had needs, same time period I just described, where there were widows who were being, you know, who needed food, well, there are all kinds of needs, and so people were, were doing things to make sure those needs were met. If they didn't have any money or supply, they'd go sell something. That's that whole story of Ananias and Sapphira. They were living right at that time when people were selling things like Barnabas sold a field. He brought, he brought the money to the apostles, and he gave it to them, and uh, Ananias and Sapphira thought, hey, this is a way where we can be lifted up, we our reputation can be lifted up in the eyes of the people. Let's go sell something. And God struck them dead because they only brought a portion of the money and that wasn't the issue, but they lied and they said, this is all of it. It's the same period of time. That was a counterfeit manifestation of the gift of giving. Barnabas was a giver. And there were others, unnamed people in the body of Christ at that early stage where there were 3,000 and then there were 5,000 just within a period of days and weeks. And it was the gifted givers. Do you realize that Jesus, when he traveled, he had women who traveled with her, him who were women of means. And, and the apostle Paul, there were women and men but specifically in the New Testament, you discover that there are these women who helped him. They were always helping him financially, serving God by giving of their resources. It's an amazing gift. 
The word liberality here means single-mindedness, open-heartedness, or generosity. It carries the idea of giving without any ulterior motives, unlike Ananias and Sapphira. Very clearly, an ulterior motive. They weren't doing it for worship. They weren't doing it for their joy in Christ. They were doing it to exalt themselves before the people rather than exalting God. But people with the gift of giving, they see a need, something inside of them says, what can we sell? Or what, what bank account do we need to dip into? We got to do something to alleviate the need. And so they give. They give. Those who possess this gift minister the grace of God to the rest of the body by giving of themselves, giving of themselves, not for themselves. They give of themselves, not for themselves. In the heart of this kind of person, the Holy Spirit motivates, to contri- motivates them to contribute from their own material resources to the work of the Lord with liberality and with cheerfulness. And people with this gift actually look forward to the opportunity of investing their resources, not in some way that's going to pay them back, but in some way where they can see gospel growth where they can see the church undergirded and fed and fertilized and grown. Where would we be without people in the body who love to give? And I'm telling you what, you may have in your mind who you think are those people, and I'm just telling you as your pastor, you may be right in some of them, but there are others that you know nothing about who are just as invisible as some who have the gift of service, and they give liberally and freely, It's amazing. It's amazing. Let me tell you what happened last week. So I come before the body. The elders know there are needs, and obviously we don't want to be real explicit about what they are for the sake of those who are in need. And so we just came to you and said, listen, our benevolence fund is kind of drying up here, and uh, it'd be nice if we could kind of beef that up. There are some needs in the bodies that need to be met, and so why don't you think about praying, about about giving. You know what happened? $7,000 came in. $7,000 came in last Sunday. And this is even more significant. Most of that money, we found out, was already on the way before I made the announcement. People already knew what the needs were. I could have made no announcement, and we would have gotten almost all of that money, or the Lord would have just done it without me. And you know what? There are people in this body who are just sitting there waiting, just waiting. Lord, What's the next need? I don't have much. I can't wait to give it. I can't wait to give it. I don't want anybody to know who I am. I don't even want the people. One of the fun things of ministry is this, is this uh, exchange of letters and resources. Because somebody will give a gift and say, please don't let them know who gave this. And so here comes a check kind of flowing through. And then on the way back, here comes a letter. Dear unknown benefit. Thank you. Let me tell you what happened this week because of your gift. Ah, it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. And we see this happening all the time at Calvary Bible Church. I mean, you see the budget, um, how much money has kind of come in and gone out and where it's gone. Um, What you don't see usually is that kind of thing. There's an awful lot of money that flows in this body, meeting needs and serving people that you and I will never know about. And by the way, let me say, for the most part, I don't even hear about these things. They're so discreet, and Charlie keeps things under wraps appropriately, 
Uh, just for the record, I don't know who gives what. I don't want to know who gives what. Um, and none of us should care about that. The only person who needs to know that is Charlie for tax purposes and everything else. But um, I'm telling you, we feel the giving here. I mean, we see it. We experience it. We feel it. You know, when we send a team overseas and money comes in, and we think, where did that come from? But I'm telling you, there's an awful lot of that happening behind the scenes that's invisible. And you don't ever hear about it. And you know why? Because there are people in this body, their radar is up all the time. How can I meet a need? What's the next need? Lord, every dollar I have is yours. I'm happy to give it. I'm eager to give it. You just tell me where. Praise God for people like that. Praise God for every person in this body who has the gift of helps and service and the gift of giving. And then here's another one, another service gift. Number three is leadership or administrations. Um, Romans 12, verse 8 says, Paul says, he who leads should do so with diligence. The basic meaning of the word leads here is to stand before. There are some people who think they are leaders or gifted in leaders, and they want a leadership position. Problem is nobody is following. Uh, The first foundational proverb of leadership is he who thinketh he leadeth and no one followeth is merely taking a walk. (laughs) Isn't that great? (laughs) Um, If nobody's following and then you're not leading, sorry. You You may think a lot of yourself. You may think your ideas are great, but if nobody's following you, you're not leading. Find another gift. Um, but he who leads should do so with diligence, to lead, to stand before. In the New Testament, it's never used of governmental officials. It's always used of, listen, listen to this, it's always used of the headship of the family. Listen, if you're married, gentlemen, then you have responsibility. You are to lead your home. If you have children, then you have a responsibility to train those children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Just as an aside here, we had um, our, our uh, father-son retreat this weekend. I guess it's a retreat. I've affectionately called it the shootout because uh, this, was, this was our time to teach our, our boys how to shoot guns. Um, and we had a, I was going to say we had a blast, but <laughs> um, we had a really good time. And, uh, and the boys were shooting, and of course, some of the little ones were Afraid to do it because it was so loud and we had the ear protection. It was all done very, very safe. Praise the Lord for guys like Chuck and Damon and, and uh, especially for um, Pace Moorhead who had it all organized and kept everybody safe. And it was a beautiful time. But you know what was even more beautiful? Watching these dads. You know what? I saw dads and I thought, I want to spend time with him. I want to spend time with him. I want to spend time with him. And as I noticed as we were going along, what was happening it was Pace Moorhead who said this, guys, Don't spend so much time with one another. This is the time for you to be with your boys. They need to learn these things. They need to learn how to handle guns safely so they can enjoy the outdoors and go hunting if they want to without anybody getting hurt. This is Texas after all. They need to learn to do that. And so let's learn it together. Be with your boys. Serve your boys. Train your boys. And I'm just going to facilitate that process. And you know what? It was great. Everywhere I looked, I saw dads with boys. Very seldom did I see a dad with another dad or a group of dads spending any more than five or ten minutes together. It was dads and their boys, dads and their boys. And this is why. It's because 
At Calvary Bible Church, we lean heavily on dads taking the leadership of their home and training their children to love God and being the godly example that they need to be. Whether your gift is giving or serving or anything, listen, you are called to serve. You are called to lead. And you are called to give. Whether you're gifted in that capacity or not doesn't matter doesn't matter. God will use your service. God will use your giving. God will use your leadership, even if you are not particularly gifted in that area. And so I praise God for you men. I praise God for you men who have boys and who are doing, uh, being faithful to train them to love God. In any case, there are people in the body who are especially gifted to lead. It's, it's significant than that the Apostle Paul makes no mention of leaders at the church of Corinth. And that was probably the focus of the whole problem. The epicenter of the whole problem was that there weren't any gifted leaders. And if there were, they were being totally overshadowed by the unspiritual, headstrong leadership that was leading that church in the wrong direction. And so perhaps this explains why the church was able to fall in such into such serious moral and spiritual problems. The absence of good spiritual leadership results in everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. It's chaos. And we see this in the home sometimes. When mom and dad have, have, you know, they've been taught to let their children lead and everything is about the child and the child is number one. The child, especially little boy, is a little emperor. We don't want to ever say no and you know what? You show me, show me a child that's not being led well, who's not being disciplined in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and I will show you an unhappy child. And I'll show you a very stressed out mom. Now, perhaps there's um, a distinction we make, make, might want to make here. Before I do that, though, let me summarize. We might summarize the gift of administrations or leadership as the gift that energizes a person to set goals and organize and execute effective plans for the accomplishment of those goals. Now, I was about to say, I think we, we may be able to make a distinction here, and this isn't, this isn't Bible, this is just observation. We may be able to make a distinction between leadership and administrations, not just because they appear in different passages. The words are very similar, that's why we group it. But there may be a distinction in that sometimes... We see leaders who are more gifted in one area than in, in, than in another. For, in, for instance, there are some leaders who are more gifted establishing vision and goals for the church body, and others who are more gifted at pulling together all the details to see that that vision and those goals are achieved. I see this in my own life. God has given me the capacity to see many times what he wants us to do to help me kind of form a vision in my mind of how we could do it and what it would do for the church if, and let's go, let's blaze this trail for the glory of God and for our own joy. Let's take the risk. This is responsible. This is good. We can do this. All right, now, Charlie, make it happen, right? Um, because I'm more gifted in seeing where the body is and where the body needs to go next, what's the next step, what's the direction, and where, we, where should we be five years from now? But I'm far less gifted in the area of what kind of details is it going to take to be pulled together in terms of resources and people 
and timelines and everything else. And you know what? Charlie's really gifted at that. And other men and women in the body as well. Where would I be without my wife? I mean, who in her, in her mind can just think all those details. And they all, we're walking through the grocery store trying to plan meals for 47 men and boys. And, and, I, and I'm looking like a deer in the headlights at all this stuff at Sam's. How do you even start that process? And she's just going through going, oh, yeah, give me five of those. Give me 10 of those. Give me, you know, 15 of those. And it all works out. We get there, and everything was perfect. And you know what? It's just not my gifting. <laughs> Sometimes I got to do it anyway. Sometimes I got to do it anyway. It's probably not going to be as good as someone that God has gifted to do it. But praise God for the different kinds of leadership that God puts in the body. There are few men that I've met and have known along through the years, very few, who have both. They understand based on scripture and their intuition in terms of knowing what the, what the condition of their flock, who their sheep are, how the health of the body is. They know what the next, next step ought to be. They can see three or four or five years down the road and say, I think not infallibly, but I think this is where God wants us to go. Let's move. Let's get moving in that direction. And then they can also take off one hat, put on the other hat and say, and I think I can pull all the people and resources and administrative details together as well. Now that's amazing. I mean, that's almost miraculous in my eyes. That's, that's you know, that'll make me believe in the gift of miracles. Um, very few people have both. But I think they both fall under the serving gift of leadership or administration. So can we divide up the two? Maybe. I don't think that's big a deal. I don't think it's a big deal because, again, Paul's not defining the gifts for us, and he's not giving us exhaustive lists. So really the question is, has God put in your heart a passion to lead in whatever kind of way, whether it's behind the scenes or whether it's in, in front, doesn't matter, has he given you the spiritual gift of leadership? Has he given you the spiritual gift of leadership? And if so, we praise God for you. And we're not just talking about men, we're talking about women. Praise God for the godly women in this church who are gifted leaders. They lead out with the children, they lead out with the women. I mean, when I see what Amy Tom has done with the women's ministry I think, oh my goodness, you know, how do you even get your arms around all of those details? I don't know. Praise God, I don't have to know. Because God has given us leaders. And so if you're gifted in that way, we praise God for you. And most of you are behind the scenes, kind of invisible, and you're working hard. And the body is more healthy because you're here. The fourth serving gift is this. The fourth serving gift is mercy. Romans 12, verse 8, Paul says, he who shows mercy should do it with cheerfulness. The word mercy here carries the joint idea of actively demonstrating sympathy for someone else and employing the necessary resources to successfully comfort and strengthen the one who is in need. And you know what? That might just be praying with the other person. It might be counseling them with the word of God. Who knows what it is? But here's the thing. People with the gift of mercy have got their radar up, and it's tuned to a different frequency than my radar. In my radar, I'm looking for leaders. I'm looking for false teaching. I'm looking for, um, I'm looking for avenues of advance for this congregation. 
I'm looking at those things. I'm looking at people who might, uh, who might come beside us and, and, uh, and by God's grace help us get there. Praise God. My, my radar is always up for that. It's always up for problems, you know, just because I've been doing this a long time and God has gifted me to do this. My radar is up for, you know, me and, uh, me and Paul Runfer used to say, we can hear the little tiny whistle of a freight train coming to do havoc, you know, in our town from miles and miles away. Nobody else sees the problem coming. We see it coming. And it's like a freight train coming. It's coming. My, my antenna is up for that all the time. But you know what? There are people in the body whose antenna is up and their radar is hot for people who are in sorrow and people whose hearts are broken and people who are in need, people who have needs and they don't even know what the needs are, but they can just look in your eyes and say, what is it? Can I pray with you? Can I help you? You don't have to tell me if you don't want to. If you do, I'll help you. I'll find some way or I'll find somebody or I'll counsel you or I'll do something. Let me pray for you. Just tell me what the need is. You need somebody who knows what your need is. Please tell me so I can weep with you, so I can rejoice with you, so I can serve you. It's a serving gift. You know what? I'll just be real upfront. I don't have that one. But there are those of you in the body who do. And you know what? Sometimes a number of you have gotten a handwritten note from me where I've said, I, I know what you're going through because so-and-so told me, they got permission, and I've, I've heard what you're going through, I'm praying for you. But you know what? I would have never known had not someone with the gift of mercy had their antenna up, identified that person, and went in and said, how can I serve you? It's a service gift. How can I serve you? I love you. I don't know your situation. Please tell me so I can meet your needs. I'm telling you, there are, gift, there are people with this gift in the body. And praise God for them. We might say the gift of mercy is the Holy Spirit energizing this person to feel genuine empathy and compassion for individuals, both Christian and even non-Christian. I tell you what, the news this week about the, the tsunami and the earthquake, people with the gift of mercy were laid out by that. Just laid out by it. How can we help? They see suffering and distressing physical or soul-related problems, and they seek to translate that compassion into cheerfully done acts of service which reflect Christ's love and help to alleviate the suffering. A lot of times when they get in, when they get involved in, with people's issues, they come away thinking, oh no, what have I gotten myself into? And they feel very inadequate to handle the thing that's just been laid on them. But know this for certain. God sent you there. And there are other people in the body that you need to draw on to help you help that person. But God has put you there. You're one of his frontline people. I may never hear, the elders may never hear that an issue needs to be dealt with, addressed, or need met unless your radar is up and you know. Now, obviously, this is not a, a license for gossip going around telling other people who are not a part of the problem, not a part of the solution, what the issues are. We don't do that. But when you're doing it right and you're doing it well and you're doing it with the, every person involved who needs to be involved, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And again, this is an invisible gift. 
Now, let me just say again, each of these gifts is something we're all responsible for. Just because I don't have the gift of mercy doesn't mean that I have the freedom to be harsh and insensitive. When I'm harsh and insensitive, I got to confess that as sin. It's wrong for me to be harsh and insensitive just because I may not be a person who is gifted to be merciful. I'm called to be merciful anyway. Remember, as we talked about last week, the gifts of the Holy Spirit must be regulated by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit must be regulated by the fruits of the Spirit. And even if I don't have a particular gift, the fruit of the Spirit must be evidenced in my life to all people. And so it is with you also. It's usually people like this who take the, take the lead in ministries like nursing home and food pantry ministries. In the past couple of years, the Lord has raised up people like David and Sarah Carpenter and Roy and Lois Pipes and Ken Basinger and others to establish these kinds of ministries to help the helpless and the poor. And you know what? Sometimes these ministries are pretty complex. Uh, just, I mean, the food pantry and clothing closet ministry here uh, it's not a matter of just showing up and grabbing some food and leaving. This is a pretty complex ministry. Another evidence that when we think of the spiritual gifts, we can't think of each gift in a monolithic way. I mean, these folks, Lois and Roy Pipes, they've got to manage a pretty significant number of people. When they go to these nursing homes, there has to be planning, there has to be communication with those people. And so I'm suggesting that it's not just one gift that they have. And they may, they may say to me after the service, they may say, listen, I don't think this is my primary gift. And I would say, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. What's wonderful, though, is they may be ministering in this way that gives them the appearance of having the gift of mercy, when in reality, maybe it's leadership. But they're not afraid to step in and do something or minister in a way that they're not most comfortable with. You see that? And so we're responsible for being merciful to people to one another, to serving in these ways. And these are folks who are good examples of how God mixes gifts together to kind of in kind of their own little individual recipe to bless the body with God's grace in a way that nobody else can. And so it's one thing to be motivated by impulses of mercy, but it's quite another to have the leadership and the administrative capacities to bring it all together in effective ministry. One of the wonderful things that happens is a ministry like that, even if it's being led by someone whose greatest gift may not be mercy, it may be leadership, administration, something, but they become a magnet for people who have the gift of mercy. And they then become, their ministry then becomes the, a, a very, very sharp and powerful tool for moving into a place like a nursing home where mercy is just spread all over the place. And the people who are really gifted with mercy may say, I could never organize this. Just administration details, I would never, never have, probably never will. But praise God for you, because you just released me to minister to all of these people. Praise God for you. And for those of you who are those gifted people with mercy as your dominant gift, praise God for you. Where would this church body be if we didn't have you with your radar up cranked up on high, looking for people who need to be graciously, mercifully ministered to. Praise God for you. A fifth service, service gift is faith. 1 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul says, To another, 
the gift of faith by the same Spirit. Now, clearly, Paul, if you were to dig through Paul's doctrine of soteriology, that's salvation, um, clearly, salvation is a gift. And faith, the faith that leads to salvation, even that is a gift. However, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about saving faith. He's talking about someone who's already born again, having the gift of faith. Look at verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 2, where Paul says, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. Now, I understand that he's speaking in hyperbole here, but it may give us a little bit of a hint as to what he's thinking of in terms of faith. This is a kind of faith that is, that is a supernatural conviction that enables a believer to trust God and inspire trust in God and other people in difficult and demanding situations. To have the gift of faith is to trust him in the face of overwhelming obstacle and human impossibilities and to stand firm and to inspire others in the body of Christ to hold their ground and stand firm. You know what's needed in Japan this morning in the church? A whole lot of people who are calling everybody else to stand firm. Don't be shaken by this. God was in that storm. God sovereignly ordained this. Who knows why? In the mystery of his providence, he could have stopped it, and he didn't. He's doing 10,000 things through this for his own glory and the edification of his church. We'll never know. God doesn't have to tell us. But you know what? It's in moments like these when the gifts of the Spirit in the church ignite. They explode into life. And everybody in the Bible suddenly feels the need to do something. And those who have been actively ministering according to how the Spirit of God has gifted them, they're ready. They're ready. Just turn me loose. Turn me loose. But there will be others this very day who've been Christians for a long time and have spent no time serving, no time using their spiritual gift. It's not developed, not because they haven't had enough time, but because they've been disengaged with what God wants them to do in the body of Christ and with unbelievers outside the church. And when something happens, now they want to help. And they have no, no idea. No idea. And they can run off like a loose cannon because they haven't been properly trained by God to use the gift that they've been given. But today I guarantee in the church, in Japan, and we've got brothers and sisters there, uh, David and Sandy Hornbrook. There's David sitting in the back, good back row Baptist back there, hey, Dave. And where's Sandy? Is Sandy here? Sandy grew up in Japan. Her mom and dad are still there. My wife and I have very, very dear friends. The brother who married us, uh, Bill Petit, Bill and Becky Petit, are in Japan. We know these folks. We know what they're doing. I mean, I don't know specifically what they're doing, but I know Bill and Becky's heart, and they are on this. They are mobilizing people. They are, they are helping people uh, get engaged in, in all kinds of ways, according to their gifts and outside their gifts. doesn't matter. They are on it, and we need to pray for them. We need to pray for the church in Japan right now. There's fear right now 
with that nuclear reactor being kind of iffy, last I heard a few hours ago, whether it's going to melt down or not, whether there's going to be contamination or not. And you know what? The world is afraid. In Japan, the world, the unbelievers are scared to death. And the, un- and the believers, I'm sure, are living in some fear as well. The difference, the believers, by God's grace, won't allow their fear to control them. They will be controlled by the Holy Spirit to minister the gospel. And can I just say, as you are, as you are ministering to people this week and they're asking you, why would God allow something like this to happen? You know what your answer should be? Don't, don't go down that road. Don't go down the dark path of trying to figure out God's mysterious purposes. They're none of your business. He's not going to reveal them. The answer to that question is this. You're asking the wrong question. The question is not, why did God let this happen? How could a good God let this happen? But the question is this. What has a good God done to make provision for this? And you know what the answer to that is? Jesus, the gospel, the cross. And even, in, even for us today, when we think of all those people, maybe in the thousands now who've lost their lives, what is God's message to the world? It's simple, repent, repent, turn to Christ. And I expect that what we're gonna see and hopefully hear about in the very, very small and, and mostly uninfluential church of Japan is that there are going to be a great number of people who come to Christ because their religion has no answers in times like this. But we do. We have Christ. And there are going to be some people in, the, in those churches who are gifted in terms of faith. When the believers around them are shaking and, and they're shaking in their faith, These believers are going to stand firm and they're going to say, don't you dare shake. Don't let this rock your faith. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the mystery of his sovereign grace, he has purposes here and he has called us to minister in this circumstance. Let's bring the word of God to bear on our own hearts. Remember his commands, remember his promises, and be faithful even unto death. The gift of faith energizes a believer to keep his wits about him, to bring God's commands and promises to bear when others are falling apart all around them and ready to quit. Perhaps the life verse of such people is this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Trust him, trust him. And it seems that perhaps the apostle Paul had the gift of faith. I mean, that guy, you could mock him, you could beat him, you could whip him, you could... Smack him with rods. You could stone him to death, shipwreck him. You just stand back up and keep going. Stand back up and keep going. Remember, you know, years ago, the little toys called the Weeble Wobble? You know, Weebles wobbles, but they don't fall down. I still, how do I remember that? I don't know. You just knock him down. He comes back up. Knock him down. Come back up. And every time he came back stronger, 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 stronger. He trusted God. He trusted God. If you don't have the gift of faith, you know what you should do? You should trust God. You should trust God. God has called you to exercise faith in your next circumstance. But these people inspire faith. I tell you, when I think of the gift of faith, I think of Joe Oliver. 
Now Joe's going to kill me for this. Um, and the reason I think of that is because him and I have served together for a long time as elders. And believe me, some of the circumstances we face together as elders, not just Joe and I, but the board, the elder group as, as a team, and, and something horrific will happen. And, and it'll kind of rock our world. And Joe will be the one who very quietly reach into the Old Testament, pull out some obscure scripture and lay it on the table and say, do we trust him or not? This is what he said. This is what he said. This is what he's promised. This is what he's commanded. Will we trust him or not? I tell you, I've been blessed by that so many times. His faith inspires my faith. That's the gift of faith. It's not that he can say to this church, be moved out into that big empty space in Weatherford so we have freedom to grow. That's not mountain-moving faith. Mountain-moving faith is this situation looks impossible. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And by his grace, I will not be shaken. I think of old Hugh Latimer, one of the Puritans in... in England during the Reformation. Uh, it was Hugh Latimer and Ridley who were arrested and they were being taken to the stake where they would be burned and were. And Latimer called back to Ridley as they were tying the stake to him, tying them to the stake. They were going to strangle him first and then burn him. And he calls out to Ridley on the other side of the post and he says, Ridley, play the man. Trust God, for I perceive that today a fire will be lit in England that will spread across this whole land. Here are his last words. And people today are still quoting it. I just did. It inspires me to trust God. The sixth service gift is discernment. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10, Paul refers to this gift as the gift of distinguishing spirits or discernment of spirits, depending on your translation. Many of the gifts, frankly, are easy to define. This one, however, has been the subject of debate for centuries. What does it mean to have the gift of discerning of spirits? Well, I don't think it's terribly complicated. I think it's been mysticized, but I don't think it has to be terribly complicated. The biblical meaning of distinguish or discern has to do with separating out for examination and judging in order to determine what is genuine and what is spurious. The idea here is that Satan is the great deceiver. He's always been a liar. He's the father of lies. John 8, 4, Jesus calls him the father of lies. And ever since the fall, he and his demons have been counterfeiting God's message and God's work, even God's miracles. This is why John exhorted the church in his day. He says, he exhorts us in 1 John 4, 1, to not believe, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Okay, let me just cut through this. What he's saying is, this isn't some kind of mystical, you know, how do you test the spirits? What, incense, the wind blowing, what? How do you do that? It's not complicated. It's this. The spirits that he's talking about are the spirits that are motivating men to preach and teach. What they are saying is the word of God. I was just reading in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles, one of my favorite stories there. And it was Jehoshaphat and Ahab. It's Ahab. 
Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. He went up to the king of Israel, and they wanted to go to battle. They were going to go to battle together against one of the foreign countries there. And, uh, um, and, and so for, for authentication that they were doing the right thing, Ahab had called all his prophets in to prophesy from the Lord as to whether they should go and engage in this battle. And all of the prophets were saying, go, God has said, go, God is saying, go. And one of them even made this little, like a Viking cap and it had horns on it. And he went running around with this hat. He was kind of one of the leaders. And he said, Ahab, so will God use you to gore this other country or something like that. And, um, and Jehoshaphat, who was a man of God, says, aren't there any prophets of the Lord here? I mean, don't we have anybody that, you know, really knows God? And Ahab says, yeah, well, there's one. His name is Micaiah. And I don't like him. And Jehoshaphat said, why don't you like him? Because he never prophesies anything good about me. It's always bad. I, I didn't invite him to our party. And uh, Jehoshaphat which said, would you just bring him? Let's just check one more time to make sure we're getting the word of the Lord here. And they bring him in. And, uh, and Ahab says, so Micaiah, should we go to battle or not? Tell us what the Lord says. And, Ahab, and, and Micaiah says, yes, go into battle. The Lord has given you the victory. And Ahab kind of puts his head down and he says, how many times must I adjure you by the name of our God that you tell me the truth? And Micaiah looked up at him and he said, I saw Israel scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And not only that, but you will lose your life in this battle. What's the point? The point is all of those other prophets believed that they were speaking from God, and it was a lie. It was a lie. Micaiah goes on, and he said, I saw the throne of God, and God said to the spirits, who will go for me and deceive Ahab? And one of them said, I will go. I will go, and I will put in the mouths of the prophets a counterfeit word, a deceiving word. Every one of those prophets thought he was speaking for God, and they were deceived. Test the spirits. When someone is speaking to you about spiritual truth, they believe that they are being moved by the Spirit of God. And the Apostle John is saying, don't believe it. Be like the Bereans who received the word of the Apostle Paul <clears throat> with gladness but also compared what Paul was saying to Scripture to make sure that what he was saying was true. That's how you test the spirits. What does that have to do with the gift of discernment? It has everything to do with the gift of discernment because there are people in the body whose radar is always up for false teaching. Always up for false teaching. And guess what? You may have guessed it. I'm one of them. I can smell it a mile away. That's what God wants me to do. And there are some of you in the body. If I miss it, you'll catch it. Now, I've got to be really careful with this. You've got to be gracious. And usually guys who have this, you know, degree, uh, uh, gift of discernment, you know, struggle in the whole mercy thing. 
You gotta do both. You gotta be loving, you gotta be gracious, you gotta be kind, you gotta be merciful, you gotta be all of those things. Remember, the gifts of the Spirit must be regulated by the fruit of the Spirit. But oh, how desperately the church in our time needs men and women of discernment. Because there is so much that gets passed off as truth in our day. Let me just name one. that I heard it this week on the radio. If you want to, want to hear a lot of this, just turn on Christian radio in Dallas-Fort Worth area. You hear a lot of, of undiscerning teachers who are fishing out of their theological pail and purporting it to be truth from God. One of these, just a real simple example. I heard someone this week on the radio saying, um, they're talking about parenting. And they said, you know, the Lord, the Lord said to me, uh, without a vision, the people perish. And so you need to have a vision for your family. You need to have a vision for your children. You need to have a vision on what you want the, to turn them into. Doesn't that sound great? Makes me want to have a vision. I looked it up on my computer. It's a passage in the Psalms. I forget what the, the number is. I didn't write it down. And it says this, without a vision, the people perish. Unless there is, oh, I forget how it's worded, um, Unless there is a word from God, the word of God, it is by the word of God that the people rejoice. Maybe that's what it says. There's a parallelism, vision and word of God. What is the vision? It's not my idea of what my family should be like or how my children should grow up. The vision is referring specifically to Old Testament prophets who were receiving direct vision from God. They were getting his word and they were writing it down for people to use to direct their lives. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do not trust in your own way. What does it say? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. This is all about us conforming our lives to the word of God. And beloved, if you don't have some discernment in you, then everything anybody says who's on a reputable radio station or television program or pulpit, you're just going to believe. And you're going to be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. And those who stand up and say what I just said, that's wrong. That is not what that text meant. You can't apply it that way. That's not what God is saying to his people. They're branded as insensitive, and maybe they are. And they're branded as uh, troublemakers, and so were the prophets. Praise God for these people. Someone has called this gift the Spirit's watchdog, the Holy Spirit's watchdog in the church. We need men and women of discernment. This person, the person who has this gift, can tell whether an idea or a teaching sounds right, but is actually a clever counterfeit of the truth that will mislead God's people. They're God's protectors of the church. I remember Pastor Jim and I met uh, back over when Super Salads was over here. Somebody said, hey, this guy's in town. He, he's looking for churches like ours, good, uh, solid churches to uh, support him on his mission field, and he'd like to meet with you. I've recommended him to talk to you, take him out to lunch. And so he, we took him out to lunch, and we got talking with him. Everything sounded right until the end. He told us he wrote a book, and, um, and he's telling us about this book and, and the doctrine and Pastor Jim and I looked at each other, and we kind of went, very similar giftings between him and I, and we both went, huh, that sounds wrong. But we couldn't say anything because we didn't, 
We didn't really know what was wrong with it. It just sounded wrong. And so we had a polite lunch. We went back to our studies, and both of us went to our libraries and started digging. And sure enough, we found what this guy was teaching. It was a, it was a, a, a doctrine that was condemned by um, a church council back like, uh, I don't know, almost a 1,000 years ago. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. The people with the gift of discernment, you may not know immediately how to bring the word of God to bear on it. You may not be able to identify what problem this is or what it creates down the road if you believe it, but you can just kind of smell something's wrong with this. Something's wrong with this, and I bet I can find out. And they do. Beloved, you just need to know false teaching is the greatest danger to the church. And people who seem to have the miraculous gifts and captivating gifts can get away with false teaching with very little threat of criticism. And those with the gift of discernment, however, are able to sniff it out and identify it for what it is. Every church needs men and women like this. But here's the thing. You may say, I don't have the gift of discernment. But you know what God calls you to do anyway? Be discerning. Learn. Grow. Read. Keep the TV off. Read things that are going to feed your soul and teach you the truth so that when you see or hear a teaching that, that just doesn't sound right, at least you'll, you'll know something's wrong. And you can go to somebody who can maybe help you figure it out and protect you from that error. You know where Satan lives? Satan's favorite place to take up residence for, for his demons to? In the church. You know why Jesus did so many of his miracles in the synagogue? Because that's where Satan was. And today, in liberal churches and churches that have abandoned the word of God, Satan loves it. Because he can help unbelievers think that they're born again and they're right with God. And all the while, he's taken them to hell. Beloved, we need to be discerning. And so all of these are the serving gifts. Each one is necessary for the health and well-being of the church body. And if you possess one of these great gifts, then I want you to know that you are absolutely indispensable, even though your gift may be invisible to the body of Christ. It is absolutely necessary to the health and vitality of this church. And so I would, I would simply say, if you're sitting here this morning or listening to my voice, and you're thinking to yourself, I have no idea what my spiritual gift is, let me just exhort you once again to do this. Find a place to serve. Get busy. There's plenty to do. Fort Worth has yet to be one to Christ. And your gift may not be the speaking gift of evangelism, but you know what? You can support those who do. You can help. You can serve in a variety of ways. Thereby, you will find your gift. And you know you start serving like that, I guarantee you're not going to regret it. God has gifted you not only so that the church can be healthy and unified, but also so that you will experience the reality that God has a wonderful purpose for your life. He's gifted you to minister grace in ways that nobody else in this church can do it just like you. And so I close with this. No church can effectively minister the gospel and adequately represent Jesus Christ in the world without the hidden efforts of gifted servants. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
praise you for revealing to us what we need to hear and for loving us enough to give us all that we need in Jesus, revealing it to us by the pages of this glorious book. But, oh, Father, we are already educated far beyond our obedience. Pray, Lord, that you would help us, each one, to take more seriously the gifting that you have given us or to take more seriously the need to get busy in the church, ministering in a variety of ways, whether they know their gift or not. And, oh, Father, I pray then that your light would so shine before men because of this little church that they will see our good works and they will glorify our God. Lord, we pray this all for the great and awesome glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and for our own joy. Amen.